This is the Santita Jackson Show. It is a joy to be with you today. God bless you. January 24th, the day after the New Hampshire primary. Now we've had two primaries, right? You had... Um, I think we should look at it from the Democratic and Republican perspective. Certainly, uh, the first in the nation primary for the for the Democrats is supposed to be South Carolina, but of course, New Hampshire balked at that, and so now they had to have a white-in candidacy for uh, for President Biden, and then um, a campaign that they hoped would gain some traction, but it did not really gain traction because most voters didn't know about it was right in ceasefire because they wanted uh, progressives and, and others who want peace in the Middle East wanted to send a signal, a message to President Biden. We're going to be talking about that and looking at what happened with his uh, on his side of the aisle. Dean Phillips, congressman from Minnesota, ran and he's charged the DNC as did the new, the new Hampshire attorney general. They charged him with voter suppression. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Things got hot up there, but no one talked about it. But certainly, of course, you know, we're going to do that on the Santita Jackson show. We're going to look at um, Trump's wins. And can you really run against a movement? I mean, Trump is not former President Trump. It's not your traditional candidate. He is a movement. The movement's not about him. It's about the people. But that having been said, he is the figurehead for it at this time. So the question is, how do you run against a movement? Well, history showed us that you really can't do that. So we've got to talk about that today on the Santita Jackson Show. How does one position oneself against this juggernaut called Trump? And we're going to examine that. And I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. Did the results surprise you? Um, that they excite you. Republicans are very, very excited on their side of the aisle. They are having the discussions. Democrats, not so much. Mm, let's talk about it. I'm Santita Jackson, coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Let's get to some of these headlines. Henry. Donald Trump won decisively in New Hampshire's presidential primary. The former president beat his last major Republican challenger, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, and his U.N. ambassador by about 11 percentage points in yesterday's contest. Trump is marching closer to the Republican nomination, but the results also showed divisions in the party. We're going to talk about that today on the Santita Jackson Show and what that means for the fall. A Russian military plane crashed today near the Ukrainian border. The plane went down in the Belgorod region of western Russia, killing all 74 people aboard. May God bless their souls, according to Russian state media. Alaska Airlines found loose bolts on many of its Boeing Max 9 jets. Wow. The airline CEO said he was, quote, angry yesterday. 
after inspection found more problems following a test at a terrifying midnight mid-flight blowout on one of the planes this month. Can you imagine they found loose bolts on, quote, many of the Boeing Max 9 jets? The FAA is investigating how a Boeing 757 operated by Delta lost a wheel before takeoff, the agency said yesterday, further increasing scrutiny of that company. A man was convicted of killing a woman who entered the wrong driveway. Kevin Monahan, 66, fatally shot Kaylin Gillis, 20, in April when she mistakenly pulled into his driveway in New York. He was found guilty of murder yesterday. Uh, surprising snub stole the spotlight at the Oscar nominations. Oppenheimer led the pack yesterday with 13 nods, followed by Poor Things and Killers of the Flower Moon. There wasn't much love for Barbie, however. Mm. Neither its director, Greta Gerwig, nor its star, Margot Robbie, were nominated. Shocker, shocker, shocker. Return to office mandates don't help companies make more money. Researchers compared average change in quarterly results and company stock price at companies with office mandates and ones without. There was no difference. Have you returned to work? I mean, are you doing a hybrid? Let me know. 773. 763-9278-773-763-9278 in sports. We're going to have the division championship over the weekend. I cannot wait to see who's going to be heading to the Super Bowl. In the NBA, the Timberwolves will be playing the Wizards tonight. In, in the NHL, Chicago will be playing the Kraken. And the Wild work triumphant over the Capitals 5-3 in Chicago. It's going to be a warm day, 37 degrees and cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 33 degrees and cloudy. And those are the headlines on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. We have got Pastor Vicki Johnson. Miss Vicki, how you doing, That's Pastor good. Johnson? I, I am well, Oh my gosh, that really sounds crazy now. I'm like, oh, now I understand why my parents would look at things and roll their eyes and go, not at that necessarily, but they would say, this is, there was one couple that used to come by my parents' home and they were lovey-dovey. And my parents even then said, this is the most ridiculous. We had to leave because, you know, my mother and father never believed in public displays of affection. And um, <laughs> my parents said, you knew that marriage wasn't going to last. Real couples don't roll that way. <laughs> all, all of that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But how are you doing today? And first of all, before we get into this, how can we worship with you on Sunday? You do so you have two churches, and um, and we really need a good word in their different times, which gives us the option of going early Sunday morning or just a little bit later. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, you can worship with me at Lebanon Lutheran Church, 13100 South Manistee at 9 o'clock a.m., and at St. Thomas Lutheran Church, 80th and Jeffrey Boulevard at 11.30 a.m. Both services are live and in person and on Facebook. And I love it. I love it. Yes. And also today I will be one of the speakers for the MLK Day program at the Catholic Theological Union at 5412 
south on Cornell at four o'clock p.m. And oh, if you cannot attend, if you go to their if you go to their website, then you can register and watch it uh, online as well. But it's free to attend. Yes, it's free to attend. Four o'clock oh. p.m. today. And what is that address again? Fifty four twelve South Cornell in Chicago. All right, four o'clock today. Go on and get a word. Well. Pastor Johnson, what is the good news today? Well, good morning, Santita, and good morning to all of your morning stars and friends. There is good news. At some point in your life, you have probably heard someone say, watch your mouth. And it was more than likely in response to you saying something you had no business saying. It may have been a cuss word or something that was just outright mean. Proverbs, the 18th chapter and the 21st verse says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. The Amplified Version says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it. This proverb comes to tie into an old Negro spiritual that says, Lord, guide my feet while I run this race. Lord, guide my hands while I run this race. Lord, guide my tongue while I run this race because I don't want to run this race in vain. There is power in our spoken word. God spoke in the world and everything in it was formed. We speak and our worlds are formed. Once you speak it out into the atmosphere, you cannot suck it back up. What we say can make people feel good or bad. It can be encouraging or debilitating. It can propel or prohibit. And this is not just for others, but it is also for what we speak unto ourselves. We can speak the word and doors will be opened or shut. Since there is so much power in our words, practice only speaking for what you want and never for what you don't want. Watch your mouth and ask God to guide your tongue while you are running this race of life. What you say will come back to you. And if God is guiding your tongue, what you say that comes back will not only be good for you, but it will also be good to you and to those around you. If you will do this, and I believe that you will, then to me, that's good news. I love that. Thank you. I needed that today. 
because oftentimes we do talk about what we don't want and we end up with that, right? Yeah. Like, hold on. Let's let's talk about what we do want. Let's change. You know, what did Michael Jackson say? Make that change. Make that <laughs> I'm change. starting with the man in the mirror, boy. Yeah. And, and man, I love you, Michael, and I love you, Pastor. How can we worship with you again? You can worship with me on Sundays at Lebanon Lutheran Church, 9 o'clock a.m., 13100 South Manistee, and at St. Thomas Lutheran, 80th and Jeffrey Boulevard at 1130 a.m., live in person and on Facebook. And you can also join me today at the Catholic Theological Union at 4 o'clock p.m., for the continuation of the MLK Day celebration. You can go to their website and register so that you can be a part of this. You know, MLK Day is not a day. It's a lifestyle. Amen to that. Amen. I thank you for that because we need to be reminded. This day of this day of uh, volunteering, that was not Dr. King's point, y'all. No, no. That's what people people want to take you off of his message. He was anti-war. He was anti-poverty. And he worked to that end. He worked yes. to that end. He was about establishing the beloved community. He worked to that end. That goes way yes. beyond volunteering. That goes way beyond that. Volunteering is nice. But that was not Dr. King's point. That's something somebody else made up, and we need to push back against it, against that, particularly those. We still have a few people who worked for him still with us. And let's listen to them so they can tell us what Dr. King would have done on his birthday, his last birthday, all, on all of his birthdays. He worked. Worked. <laughs> he was organizing the poor right. people's campaign. Right. He worked. Yes, yes, we want to lift that family up in prayer in the passing of his youngest son, Dexter, asking um, that we would all be prayerful for them as they experience this change in life. Oh, absolutely. I had the blessing of speaking to his sister, Bernice, yesterday. She's a dear friend, and uh, they had. She was clear that he was coming to going going to the other side. But you know what? You might be prepared, but you're never ready. Never ready. Mm-hmm. But you know what? But she is a profound preacher herself, and she said, Amen. "Well, you know, this is this is God's way." And God bless her. She gave me strength. And so please pray for her. Pray for her brother, Martin. Um, This is not an easy moment for them. But I do know this. Everybody I know who has had an experience in which they've approached the light, they have never wanted to come back. (laughs) They have all said it was so wonderful over yonder that I did not want to come back. And so I wish Dexter safe travels, and I'm so glad that I got a chance to know him on this journey. He is a wonderful, wonderful, lovely, lovely human being, a wonderful man uh, from a wonderful, wonderful family. We owe so much to the King family, we can never repay them. I love you, Pastor Vicki Johnson, and um, love you, everybody. 
Absolutely. Everybody get on over at 4 o'clock. Is it 54th and Cornell today? Yes, 5412 South Cornell. Okay, you know, she's so precise. Miss Hospital Corner. Yes. <laughs> Love you, girl. Love you. Pastor Vicki Johnson, everybody. We've got Dr. Shanina Knighton with us today. Dr. Knighton, I was talking about you yesterday with several friends. I said, there, I, have a, I have a health expert who is the best, and we need to do more with her and talk to her. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I am doing well. What is on your mind today? Um, so just keeping it simple, Santita, but something that's very important, um, not necessarily talking about regular hand hygiene, but talking about our third hand, which has become our cell phones, and us really thinking through cell phone safety. Cell phones are in our hands just as much as we touch our face per day. So when we pick it, put it down, we pick it back up. When we put it down, we pick it back up. We use it to make phone calls. We use it, you know, to text people. We use it to look up things on the Internet. We use things on that kill time. It's one of the things that have come a part of our human being, almost how a watch used to be back in the day. As a result of that, we don't realize that our phones come in contact with our personal body, and they also come in contact with the foreign environment. And when I say the foreign environment, those are things that we normally are not around, but we must experience. So that means being at a grocery store and sitting your phone down on the counter as you open up your purse or try to go in your wallet. It means, you know, also, too, sitting your phone down, you know, maybe in the car or in the seat. It means your phone coming in contact with all of these other different places that you then will put in contact with your face and with your hands. Those phones are known to be dirtier than toilet seat by 10 times, meaning oh individuals gosh. have taken their phones, I'm being honest, they've taken their phones in the bathrooms, and what they don't realize is that the toilet itself is not a protective barrier because when you flush the toilet, there are droplets that will spew from out of the toilet, and unfortunately, don't get into the environment. So it's no surprise to me when they say that a phone is 10 times dirtier than a toilet because people oftentimes may take their phones into the bathroom, and guess what? They don't clean those phones. So they then take those same phones and they put them up to their face and want to know why they have an outbreak of their skin. They want to understand, like, why is it, you know, that my skin is not cooperating as it should, or why am I sick with this unknown book? Nine times out of ten, it comes down to you not cleaning your phone and using your phone in a manner for which it is coming in contact with all of those germs because you're not cleaning it at least one or two times per day. So how do you clean your phone? What should you use? My recommendation that I always tell people is to look up the instructions from, let's say, the manufacturer on the best way to clean it, I can tell you it's never best to, it's never advised to spray a phone. There might be mm. cell phone wipes. There are wipes for which you can use that'll be gentle. 
Um, it's recommended to not use products such as disinfectants because your phone has on the coating. There's a coating, it's called an allayed coating, that makes you have the ability to use touch screens. So it is very specific that you shouldn't use certain disinfectants, and I suggest to people to look that up. And unfortunately, Santita, there's no one-size-fits-all model, so I can't recommend a specific product. But just know that not cleaning your phone at all, not cleaning your case, and using your phone in those different settings are putting you more at risk than being of more of a benefit to you um, than we think. You didn't even know, everybody, that you there are instructions for cleaning your phone. Think about it. Not just think about it, be about it. Get this phone clean, everybody. Get it clean, get it clean, get it clean. Oof, Dr. Shanina Knight and everybody. Hey, Dr. Nina, H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A. Follow her in social media so that you can get the latest and the greatest in infection prevention. Let's talk about this New Hampshire primary. Yeah, there was a write-in on the Democratic side, too. So we need to talk about that and what happened with Nikki Haley and former President Trump. What does this portend for the fall? Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Back to show WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Let's talk about the New Hampshire primary. News was made on both sides, on the Republican and Democratic sides. Indeed, uh, just one year ago, just one year ago, just one year ago, President, former President Trump was trailing in the polls, and yet this year he had a convincing win. The more he's been indicted, the more he has risen in the polls. How do we, how do we interpret that? Um, and uh, Biden, of course, he won uh, 54% of the vote to Nikki Haley, 43.2% of the vote. She had a respectable showing, but some people think she needs to drop out. What do you think? And then, of course, on the Democratic side, because the Democrats have pushed for South Carolina to be the first in the nation's primary, on the Democratic side, uh, they did not put President Biden's name on the ballot. So he had a write-in. He won 67.1% of the vote. But Dean Phillips, who had 0% name recognition just months ago, came in at 19.2%, nearly 20% of the vote. Indeed, there's controversy on the Democratic side uh, because of the Attorney General from the great state of New Hampshire, Brendan O'Donnell, accused the DNC of uh, engaging in unlawful voter suppression after the National Party dismissed New Hampshire's upcoming primary as, quote, meaningless. 
he sent a cease and desist order to the DNC saying that uh, instructing state Democrats to uh, educate the public that the primary was meaningless violates New Hampshire's voter suppression laws. Wow. And on the Republican side, well, uh, well, what was impressive about Trump's win was this. We had the caucuses last week. Uh, the uh, Iowans are not as affluent as those uh, residents of New Hampshire. They're not as middle of the road as those in New Hampshire. They're less moderate. Uh, the people in New Hampshire are more moderate. They're more independent in New Hampshire. And yet he was able to really uh, do well in those fields. Two different kinds of Republicans. So what does this say? Let us talk about this today at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Are these primaries predictive? Um, and how do you stop a movement? Trump is a little bit more than a candidate. There is a movement afoot. He is standing for something. If you talk to his voters, they tell you that. And we need to pay attention. Even if you don't plan to vote for him, pay attention, pay attention, listen to everybody. Before we go to this magnificent panel that I have here, let's go to Daniel. Daniel, what's on your mind? And where are you calling from? Um, I'm calling from South Carolina, but I actually, uh, I've been listening to you, for, to you for a while, and I used to call from New Hampshire, so I, I've got some input into that as well, if you like. Um, oh, my God. Okay, where are you in South Carolina? I'm sorry? Where are you in South Carolina? I'm in Columbia. Okay, okay. Our dear, dear yeah. friend, Kevin Gray, who made his transition just a little while ago, was in Columbia. And, of course, my father and his people are from Greenville, you know, upstate. So it's great hearing your voice, my dear South Carolinian. And, and you live in New Hampshire. What happened yesterday? Talk to me. Um, it... They call themselves independents, but it's like a left-leaning and a right-leaning, right-leaning independent. Uh, they moved mm -hmm. up there as a part of the libertarian movement, and uh, you know, in my opinion, the libertarian is just kind of a uh, more anarchic uh, conservative. You know, they they say they believe in the conservative uh, economic principles, uh, but they just they don't want any other form of government, and that pretty much sounds MAGA to me. You know, I was living in mm. Manchester. I was I was delivery driver at the time, and I drove uh, through Maine, uh, like, within three hours of Canada. And there, there's Confederate flags up there just like there are down here. So, you know, they call themselves independent, but, you know, they're it's 50-50. It's, 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 it's pretty conservative up there. Mm. And it's, okay. I believe the state's 95% white, if I'm not mistaken. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, that's that's part of America, too. So let me ask you this. Do you think that, um, were you surprised? Uh, do you think Nikki Haley did, did she do better than you expected? Did she do as well as expected? Or did she underperform in your estimation? Um, to be honest, in any vote she gets right now, I think is a, a it's surprising to me. Um Again, go, uh, not going up, but I, I was in New Hampshire from 2018, and it, it was very cult-like up there. I mean, there there are temples and totems in everybody's yard to, to, to MAGA. You know, they spend thousands of dollars on banners and flags and, you know, signs to put it in your face that they are bigots. Um, so, you know. That they are, that they are what? That they're bigots? 
they are bigots. I mean, it, well, you, you know, that's, all, that's my well, own I mean, interpretation. Well, well, let me ask you, because I, I don't think that all people who are part of, who vote for Trump are bigots. I think, you know, you have, a, I mean, like all people vote for Biden aren't progressive. <laughs> you know, you got all kinds no, of folks and, and that's, who vote all kinds of ways, so that's, right? that's Yes, ma'am. My apologies. But that's that's actually what I called about. Um, there, there's two types of conservatives right now. There, there's there's bigots and there's ignorance um, because they've been they've been lied to, you know, and I, I used to say that the difference between a Democrat and a Republican is like, you know, they, they want harsher, you know, uh, economic policies. And they, they're not fans of big government. But like once it doesn't take a lot of digging to learn that trickle down economics was a lie to turn, you know, the rich into billionaires. Like what do they have left? They, they have no philosophy. You know, everything they have is lies. And it's been like that for a long time. But the only thing that conservatives, that the right wing has, is hate. That's it. You know, um, Nikki Haley, this country's not racist. Well, what's your real name, Nikki? You know, and I, I fully, she can call herself whatever she wants. That, that's fine. But, like, no more of this. No more of this gaslighting. You know, you can't say that you're going by Nikki for any other reason than you wanted to be a conservative, because that ain't even close to her real name. Well, I mean, not not so, that beyond being a conservative, being white proximate, it's a little deeper than being a conservative, because many black people are socially conservative. That's why there's some synergy you're beginning to see with blacks in the Republican Party. And but, but what kind of black person is a conservative? Me? What kind of a black person is a conservative? You're me. a conservative? Me, 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 me. Yeah, I mean, socially, I come from the church. And when you come from the church, yeah, you are. But what I don't do is impose my views on uh, the, what, what I want, how I feel about abortion. I'm not going to impose that upon you. I'm going to fight to the death for a woman to have the right to have equal access to her reproductive rights and and it should be safe but what i would do personally that's but that's my business you understand what i'm saying and so i mean i mean that's what that's what i'm saying awfully but that sounds awfully liberal and progressive to me like see i I grew up christian as well no but it sounds progressive to some it sounds um it sounds conservative to others it really depends i I have some progressive friends who are appalled by that when i say that and so I mean, that's okay because I'm going to, you know, hew to my beliefs and that's, that's that. But coming out of the church, you tend to, you know, pump the brakes on um, on a lot of these social issues. You do. But what I don't do, but, what I don't believe in doing is imposing myself on someone else and, and diminishing people and making them feel bad. I don't agree with that. Yes, ma'am. And that, that should, I mean, that pretty much is the basis of, you know, the, I don't even know what title you want to put on it. The, the left wing movement is, listen, if you want to, you know, if you don't want to get an abortion, that's great. Don't, if, you know, if you, if you want to, uh, if you, if you, if you believe in heterosexual relationships, that's fine. Have one. But like, that's, that's yeah. the basis of the left wing movement. That's kind of the teachings of Christ. But but then you know, it depends upon your interpretation because different people interpret, you know, progressivism and liberalism in different ways. I mean, they just do, and that's why I think I think we have to give people. 
I want to bring, I want to sit right there because I want to bring in, I want to bring in the panel so we can talk about what they saw because I, I don't want to get us too far off track. But stay right there, Daniel. Stay, stay there, sweetie, because you know you, you've been in both these places, and I want you to be able to weigh in. You have another seat at the table. You're a panelist today, Dan, Daniel. We've got uh, Dwight Mickey, brilliant social scientist, <laughs> Doctor uh, David Gibbs. Oh yeah, you know how I roll, Doctor David Gibbs, University of Arizona historian, and we have got. Um, we have got Robert Patillo, Robert Patillo, uh, from the national leadership team of Rainbow Push, uh, talking to us today about what it is that he saw last night. How should we interpret all of this? And, of course, Ari Boomkatz from In These Times magazine. He is their editor. Let me start with you. I'm going to start with you, uh, Robert Patillo. What did we see last night? Now, you just heard Daniel, who has... Lived in South. He lives in South Carolina, but he's also lived in New Hampshire. So he's, you know, he's he's not a, someone who's disconnected from any of this. What did we see last night? Well, I think we saw the consolidation of the Republican Party into the MAGA movement. This has been a decade-long uh, transition since the McCain election in 2008. We saw the Tea Party Revolution uh, start the kind of rightward turn of the Republican Party. Uh, then from there, we saw Trump arise in 2016. Uh, 2016. Uh, at that point in time, you had uh, Lindsey Graham saying if he had to choose between John or between Ted Cruz and um, and the Donald Trump, that's like choosing between getting shot and drinking poison. Uh, and now you have the full consolidation of the party into MAGA. There is no distinction between Republicans and MAGA. That's an antiquated idea. The conceptualization of Maine being this independent uh, kind of rebel maverick state, I think that's gone by the wayside, has been seen in this election. Uh, the last week, Donald Trump has been calling uh, Nikki Haley not Nimrata, which is her beautiful Hindu name. He's been calling her Nimrata. Uh, as in she's mm -hmm. some kind of nimrod, or she's stupid. Um, this mm -hmm. is, it's very clear that the Republican Party coalesced around that. They don't care what he says. They don't care what he does. He spent last week on trial for raping a woman, um, not to determine whether he raped her or not. The judge said you can assume that he has raped this woman. The question was whether uh, how much the damages would be for him defaming her after he raped her, and then he won two primaries with 50% of the vote. Um, so it's very clear that the Republican Party has coalesced into the MAGA vote. And I think it's important for national Democrats to understand that because the old playbook doesn't apply anymore. The old idea of, well, I'm going to go out here and get these conservative soccer moms from the suburbs, these swing voters in swing districts. No, it's just MAGAs and everybody else at this point in time, and we have to run our politics that way going forward. And I think Democrats are, are very, are shooting themselves in the foot when they have this idea that they're going to go out here to the suburbs and find these swing voting soccer moms who are going to come at the party. This is going to be a base election. You have to turn out your base. You have to motivate your base. And right now, Democrats are having trouble with their base and have to focus their policy for the rest of this year on turning that base out. Dr. David Gibbs, your assessment of what we saw last night. Well, the main challenger to Trump, obviously, was Nikki Haley. She was the only challenger. Uh, she lost um, uh, by enough big enough margin that uh, I think everybody knows Trump will be the nominee. At this point, it's very unlikely that it will be otherwise. Uh, and so far, it looks like he's the odds-on favor to win the election. I think mm. Haley is interesting in the sense that what she rep represents is, to some extent, the breakdown of the old ideologies, the breakdown of the definition of sort of you know liberal and conservative, 
in a sense. She's often thought of as the more moderate candidate. But if you look at really uh, her, the core of her policy positions, the thing she's best known for, it's for deep and sort of unambiguous support for the military-industrial complex and the projection of American military power overseas. If you look at her funders and her strongest supporters, I, I think that's really what they're interested in. Uh, I'm not a fan of Vivek Ramaswamy, but I think he was quite right when he was hammering away at the fact that he is the instrument of the military-industrial complex. Um, I think that they, the military-industrial complex and the intelligence services and um, you know everybody backing those interests, I think see Trump as shaky on U.S. power. And they see him as somebody who is unreliable as an instrument of U.S. power. I should add, as president, he didn't really do things like withdraw from NATO, much to the relief of the military-industrial complex. But there's a real fear that if he's reelected, he may do something like that, withdraw from NATO. He may withdraw from American overseas military bases. He talks as if he, he he's thinking about it. And I think that's part of a big opposition to him, at least at the elite level. And, you know, is this a left or right position? Well, you know, withdrawing from NATO is something that the left used to support. Opposing military spending and overseas intervention, that's something that the left used to support. Uh, but no longer, it would seem. I mean, Joseph Biden is a very interventionist president. He's a very big supporter of the military-industrial complex, as is Haley. And I think a lot of Democrats um, support Haley, at least in the sense they would like her to be the Republican nominee. That would return the Republican Party to, quote-unquote, normalcy. Um, and I think, again, you know, I mean, none of this in any way absolves the fact that Trump is very much a, a, a very dangerous person. And uh, he's also, in many ways, a very bigoted person with a bigoted appeal. But it's more complicated than that. I think part of the appeal of Trump is that he is somebody basically who speaks to the issue that much of the population is tired of overseas interventions and tired of the amount of money and lives that have been invested in overseas interventions. And that's one of the issues here. I think oh, undergirding all of this discussion is the issue of populism, that there's a real populism uh, in the public right now. And it's, I think, clear in both parties, Bernie Sanders appealed to that. And it's not just white populism, but there's a the distinctive black component to populism, people of color, I think share some of this as well. And the Democratic Party has no idea how to respond to this. The Democratic Party is so fixated upon people with high incomes and advanced degrees that they have no idea how to communicate with people who do not have college educations. And Trump instinctively senses how to do that. I think he's not a good answer to populism. And I think he's not going to be very good at advancing the interests of you know, poor people, quite the opposite, I think. But he knows how to harness, okay, that force. And I think the Democrats have no idea how to respond to it. And that may very well be why they, they may, may lose this election. Unbelievable. Ari Blumkatz, what do you see? Good morning, Cynthia, and uh, good morning, everyone else. You know, I think there's a couple things here. You know, one on the Republican side, you know, this is over, and we've known that this was over since the beginning and that the Republican primaries were fairly meaningless on a number of levels. And I think Trump winning by 11 percent here is pretty indicative of where things are at, even though it was a you know, somewhat smaller margin than, you know, previously. But, you know, this is, this is over on the Republican side. What I'm a bit more interested in is 
is on the Democratic side right now. And, you know, this is a circus and no one is even really running here. We've got Biden, who name wasn't even on the ballot because there was an argument over the calendar in which state would be first on the primary. We've got claims of voter suppression because the national party is calling these meaningless and we have New Hampshire officials firing back. We've got a self-help author who gets almost 5% of the vote. And then we have like a ceasefire write-in candidate that's doing better than the self-help author. And then we got Dean Phillips, who no one's really ever heard of outside of Minnesota, getting almost 20% of the vote. And, you know, this is this is wild for the Democrats that this much chaos is happening right now and no one's even really running. And so I think one of the things that this represents is not only do we know that, you know, the Democratic coalition is in disarray and that Biden isn't really able to hold the Democratic coalition on a number of levels, but they can't even really do a primary right. And that's just like really disturbing on so many levels. And I think it's really worrisome and indicative of what's going to come here. And, you know, I think a lot of folks are estimating, you know, folks on the panel right now have articulated as well that, you know, it very much looks like Trump's in the driver's seat in a lot of ways. And it's what we've known all along here that unless Biden and the DNC get their stuff together right now, doesn't really seem like they have much of a prayer. And I'm really, you know, waiting to see a coherent strategy from Biden, uh, you know, campaign. And we haven't seen a coherent strategy at all. We've heard whispers that, you know, maybe they're going to go hard on reproductive justice. We've heard whispers that maybe they're going to go hard on Trump as a criminal. Maybe they'll do both. But one of the things that I believe is represented by this campaign to write in, you know, the word ceasefire as a candidate here. And this is a campaign that, you know, started fairly recently and, you know, was actually not fairly well publicized and not really well known. And we're talking about a campaign here that's getting probably over 6% of the vote. And I think one of the things that symbolizes is that, you know, God is going to stay pretty central to the overall narrative. I don't think folks are going to let this go. And I think the Biden administration keeps hoping that Gaza is going to go away. And it's not. And I think once the Democratic Party and once Biden finally files this, finally like realizes that until they address Gaza, that they really aren't going to be able to move and operate in the way that is, you know, a winning strategy. They're going to keep along this path. They're going to keep losing. And, you know, a lot of folks right now are touting, you know, how much Biden, you know, won by here. You know, he wasn't even on the ballot. He got all of this, like, right in. But truth be told, it's still pretty sad. He barely sort of got over 50% of the vote, and he's really the only viable candidate. That's really disturbing. And, you know, I'm I'm really, you know, worried in many levels about what this uh Chaos represents. Yeah, Dwight, you said, why turn a martyr into a monster? A year ago, Trump was behind in New Hampshire, and a year later, he is one going away, even with indictments and heading and heading to court almost every day. 
Dwight? Well, what I think, what I saw last night was the Democratic Party obituary. Ooh. It's a party in free fall with no concept of how to write itself, no concept of how to get traction. It is just, it's, it, it's uh, chaos. Uh, it's, it's, it's organized chaos. And unless a miracle happens, you know, like Trump has a heart attack, is that I think that they are, have no chance to win, win this election. And I think it's for a couple of reasons. I think that they don't really, have really not come to a conclusion of who the base is and who they're appealing to. And so it sends missed messages to everybody. You know, you really don't know who you, who it wants to be. Whether it's going to be a progressive party that looks in the, into the future, whether it's going to be a conservative party that competes with Trump, whether or not it's going to be a a party that uh, is anti-war and 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 you know pro-king kind of kind of party who they exalt as one of their their own. Or whether it is a militaristic party that starts a war every six months somewhere. I mean, it has no real identity, and it's paying a price for it. So, uh, what I saw last night was the Democratic Party obituary. Wow. Well, you know, that's a whole lot. Daniel, you got a response? I got about a minute before we go. Oh. Well, you know what? What do you think, everybody? What did you see last night? And what about voter suppression? The Attorney General of the state of New Hampshire said, no, 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 Democratic National Committee. You are engaging in voter suppression tactics. You're wrong. You had no right to call this primary meaningless. And, you know, softly uh, steer the voters away from voting. Wow. What do you think about all of that? (laughs) Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. I'm Santita Jackson here at WCPT 820 Radio and AM 950 Radio, the voice of Progressive Minnesota. Back in just a few moments. This is the Santita Jackson Show. To the Santita Jackson Show, it's Wednesday, January 24th, 2024, the day after, the day after the New Hampshire primary. We've had two major presidential um primary elections. We had the Iowa caucuses last week. 
Trump won there convincingly, and he won convincingly last night, as did the write-in candidate, President Joe Biden. Uh, there's been a fight between the Democrats in New, in New Hampshire and in South Carolina about who will be the first in the nation. The Democratic National Committee has said, well, South Carolina will be the first in the nation. New Hampshire said not so fast. And their attorney general, has they have accused they have accused uh, the Democratic National Committee of engaging in voter suppression. In fact, they said you have violated our voter suppression laws by telling your voters that this is a meaningless election. Wow. Much is going on, everybody. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. And uh, Dwight McKee has just walked the house, everybody. Dr. Shanita Knight was listening, and I just want you to know, people said, wait a minute, he has said, you saw last night an obituary huh. for the Democratic National Party. What do you think about that, everybody, uh, as we watch Republican numbers continue to grow. 773-763-WCPT, 773-763-9278. Let's get some of these headlines out of the way, why don't you, Henry? Alaska Airlines found loose bolts on many of its Boeing Max jets. Wow. The airline CEO said he was, quote, angry, close quote. Yesterday after their inspection found more problems following a terrifying midnight blowout, mid-flight blowout on one of the planes this month. Wow. The FAA is investigating how a Boeing 757 operated by Delta Airlines, lost a wheel before takeoff, the agency said yesterday. What is it, me or is the American Airlines industry having a lot of problems? Call me at 773-763-9278. A Russian military plane crashed today near the Ukrainian border. 74 people lost their lives. May peace be upon them. It's not clear. Russia said the plane was carrying 55 Ukrainian prisoners, but a Ukrainian report said it was transporting missiles, not prisoners. And at the top of the head lines today, the New Hampshire primary. Donald Trump won decisively in, on his side. President Biden as a write-in candidate won decisively, but there is much more to each story, and we're going to talk about that. Nikki Haley said, I'm telling you, I'm not going. I'm going to be here at least through, at least through South Carolina, but will it make a difference? Should she stay in or should she drop out? Should we, should Republicans have the option of voting for someone other than Donald Trump. And what about Democrats, too? Uh, Dean Phillips has gone from 0% name recognition to 19% of the vote yesterday. Yeah, that's right. So I want to know what your thoughts are about what happened yesterday. About what happened yesterday. The former president beat his last major Republican challenger, a former U.N. ambassador in his administration and former South Carolina governor, Nikki Haley, by about 11 percentage points. And President Biden got a 67% of the write-in vote. But Marianne Williamson got 3%. And Dean Phillips, who campaigned hard up there, got 19%. So what do you think about all this, everybody? Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. In Swartz, Chicago will be playing the Kraken tonight. The Wilds bested the Capitals, 5-3 to three in the NHL. The Timberwolves will be playing the Wizards. And everybody today in Chicago is going to be a warm day. 37 degrees will be the high, albeit cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 33 degrees, albeit cloudy. All in all, a beautiful day, everybody. The sun, remember, is just on the other side of the clouds. 
keep smiling, everybody. Let's talk about what happened in New Hampshire. Let's talk about New Hampshire that happened in New Hampshire. Dwight McKee said, mm, you just saw the, um, the obituary of the Democratic Party. Ouch. Very quickly, before I go to the rest of the panel, could you explain yourself, Dwight McKee? Oh, okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> if I was, if you saw what you've seen in the Democrat on the Democratic side is complete dysfunctionality. You know, you got a right-in candidate called ceasefire against a right-in candidate called Joe Biden, and they're in the same party. I mean, it's it's just political schizophrenia. You don't really know don't know who you want to be and who who you appeal to, what your what your platform is, what your goal is, what your motivation is. You just you know just blowing in the wind. And so uh, I see the Republican Party consolidating. Uh, everybody's out now except Nikki Haley. She's on her way out. Uh, I see them really, you know, consolidating around Trump. His foes have become his friends. All of them are praising, you know, his name, some in excess, so much that he seems embarrassed by it. But uh, at the same time, I see a consolidation around Trump. I see destabilization on the Democratic side. They don't seem, we don't seem to have a real plan to what the what the platform is, what the the program is, you know, how are we dealing with the the migrants? Are we for or against? Who knows? How are we dealing with the war? Are we for peace peace? Are we for war? Who knows? How are we dealing with the economy? Are we for in more jobs and less inflation? Or less inflation and and, 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 and and less jobs. Who knows? I mean, it's a bipolarity like I've never seen. And so I think that you know it's going to get more and more interesting as they move toward the convention. And I think you're going to see as many people outside protesting the convention as you will inside supporting the convention. I think it's going to be like. Like uh, Chicago, sixty-eight all over again. That's what I see. Hmm. Ari, is that what you see? I mean, because it, as members of the media, we're hearing about the absurd rates that are being um, that are being charged for. Well, this is clearly clearly they only want corporate media to cover the convention. <laughs> I mean, that that's clear. That that's it. Because um, if you're going to charge ninety thousand for a spot, what independent media can can afford that? And how will you get any other stories? I mean, because we had, I didn't even hear about voter suppression, for example, the charges of voter suppression. I mean, and this is the attorney general for the state of New Hampshire who charged that. It's only because I was listening to television and because I listened to everything that I caught that yesterday, Ari. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, I think Dwight is right on target here with the Democratic Party being in complete free fall. And, you know, we've seen that for, you know, a number of election cycles here on a lot of levels. But I don't think we've ever seen anything quite this profound in terms of 
complete self-destruction. But, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about is that maybe if there's one winner on the Democratic side right now, it might be literacy. I think maybe just in general. Who knew New Hampshire was full of such writers? We got... Office right in at fourteen percent. We got ceasefire right in at six percent. We got Biden being right in at fifty percent. So I think maybe I'm going to start looking at this as like a win for literacy and like a win for you know creative process. And maybe that'll provide a little bit of hope right now. Um, where there really is none. So, yeah, the Democratic Party, like, Dwight, I'll, I'll attend that funeral with you um, for sure. Um, but, like, maybe we can celebrate whole language. Maybe we can celebrate literacy. Maybe we can celebrate, you know, all of uh, New Hampshire's English teachers that, you know, seem to do a pretty good job here. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to have to put you and Dwight off today. If you want to, Aaron, going past Ari Blumkatz and Dwight McKee, which we have to do, what did you see last night? Oh, my word. I mean, because there was a lot to unpack. And, I mean, a lot of it was, and most of it was not even discussed today. Um, uh, certainly, I was shocked yesterday when I heard Dean Phillips talk about voter suppression that the that the Attorney General for the state had charged the Democratic National Committee with uh, with violating the voter suppression laws because they instructed their voters to ignore this race because this was meaningless. Wow, that's a big deal. But then you've got Nikki Haley, who was a, I think she had quite a respectable showing, but the corporate media, I think, they are so keen on a Biden-Trump rematch. That it's like they switched tracks. Now Trump had a big win, even though he got just a little bit more than 50% of the vote. And we're on the way to November. So it's like they're shutting down this primary process, too. What did, we, what did, you, what did you, what was your takeaway from last night, Aaron Connolly? Well, good morning, Santita. Good morning, everyone. Um, it, it was really interesting. I was taking a a view of, you know, my favorite political science professors, many of them still in Chicago, um, last night looking at these results. And the thing I kept thinking about was what a risky time for Democrats to change a long process in their primary system, right? I'm all for a more representative inclusion. I think having South Carolina first or even a state like Illinois that's a little more diverse and represents America a little bit better, I think, than New Hampshire and Iowa, which are very white, very traditional states, I think makes sense in theory. But doing it on this election cycle, when when the Democrats needed to show a strong president with decisive victories, I think it was a risky move to switch things up, and we're seeing those those chaotic results now. What they couldn't predict when, when that happened, of course, is the, the international crisis relating to the war in Gaza, and um, as you saw, many of the, the ceasefire vote, votes yesterday written in, right? And those, those write-in votes that were not registered for Biden accounted for a large percentage of the vote on the Democratic side. So we also saw Biden's uh, events getting interrupted. Um, So we see a base in the Democratic Party that's divided on very serious value-based issues. 
And um, unfortunately for them, they took this risk in having a new primary system right now. So this, the, the allegations of actual voter suppression, I think, you know, were surprising to hear. But at the same time, when our democracy is under attack on so many levels, right, from the inside and outside, I think it's a risky time to kind of shake things up in this way and undermine any sort of Democratic primary, especially one in New Hampshire that these folks take a lot of pride in, a lot of historical pride. The communities get together. They meet in houses. They are very engaged in this process. And they're notoriously independent, right? There is this independent wave, and we saw that with the write-ins. We saw that with the creativity yesterday. But to kind of undermine that, I, I think, is kind of putting pushing the buttons in a uniquely New Hampshire way that we, you know, we may see some follow-up from the attorney general because they do take their process so seriously, right? Um, I think these risks will continue as we, we go through primary season. But one thing I also noticed last night was Trump was very upset with his showing. I think Nikki Haley did perform better than he wanted and was clearly, you know, uh, the headlines that he, he was I think we're accurate when you look at the video that that he's annoyed that he has to go up against a woman. That's not his favorite, but he certainly likes to attack them. So we'll see how it goes for South Carolina. She may have a stronger showing knowing that's her home state. If she doesn't, I think it's, it's hard to make that argument, right? If you can't win your home state decisively um, and show a victory there, how, how do you have the, um, the energy to really move forward um, in a victorious way? So... We'll see, but it, it, there's a lot of things at play, and I, I, I am praying that the DMC convention uh, does not go the way of, of previous uh, history, but, you know, we will, as Dwight has proven on many occasions, his predictions often come true. <laughs> well, remember, riots are the language of the unheard. You keep shutting down all these conversations. Something is bound to blow, Aaron, something. Something. I mean, right. I, I believe and in nonviolence, but that having been said, for people not to be able to um, run in the party, for them to have shut down the primary process, that was a right. huge mistake. And um, I just think that, you know, Democrats, you know, everyone can be autocratic and totalitarian. And I think we just need to be honest about that. I mean, being a Democrat does not make you, a, you know, does not make you sacred. It's just, it's just a party. That's all it is. And we always have to be clear on unchecked power. I don't care who it is. I don't care who it is. Attorney Jones, what's on your mind today? What is your takeaway? And when you hear about voter suppression, the AG of New Hampshire said, hey, 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 you're violating our some voter suppression laws. You're saying you've told your voters that this is a meaningless throwaway primary. Whoa, don't do that. Santita, the word that came to my mind, what a mess. What a mess. Let me tell you, you know, you sit you sit back and you look at what's happening in New Hampshire and you have the DNC, right? And and I, I get it, they wanted to award, you know, South Carolina for, for whatever, but in the process of awarding South Carolina you're telling the rest of the country, the rest of the voters, that you're willing to take steps to suppress the other votes if you don't do what we're telling you to do when we tell you to do it. 
That is not where you want to be. And when you do that in New Hampshire to those, to those voters, and then on top of that, you add the story that's going around, you know, uh, the, the AI uh, robocalls of, of President Biden's voice telling them, you know, don't vote in the primary, just look for the general election. It almost looks like you're part of that whole process. And, and it's all one big suppressive effort. And then to follow it up with a letter that really, you know, uh, underscores that you did make this statement, that you did tell them that your their votes won't be counted, that, that who they elect will not be seated at the DNC. They won't be selected uh, after they've been duly elected to be to have those positions that, that that's an incredible mess to have to overcome when you talk about the attorney general in new hampshire let's understand this you know the attorney general in new hampshire you know, i think he's somewhat salivating over the dnc letter and what's going on there got to remember he's a republican so he, they're going to take every opportunity to poke their finger in the eye of the hypocrisy of what the Democratic Party is doing and what the DNC is doing. That's the concern with what they've done in this situation. So, you know, you have all of that mess that's going on in New Hampshire, and you're going to be asking for folks to believe in your foundational pieces of what you're presenting across the country. It's a mess that's there. So for the DNC to, to, you know, I get what they were trying to do, but the law in New Hampshire said that from their legislature that their state had to be first by, you know, number of weeks or whatever it is. So now the DNC was trying to instruct the the state party, the state Democratic Party, to break the law in New Hampshire. I mean, it's, it's problematic. It's problematic in telling them to break the law. It's problematic in, in suppressing their efforts and it's problematic in saying, even if you go through with your vote, we're not going to count your delegates. We're not going to count uh, uh, your votes toward the, the process of the selection of the nominee. It, it, it's a bad position to be in. So in addition to all the other holes uh, that have been you know, dug for the uh, DNC to get out of, you're now adding this self-inflicted wound to it. So, you know, it's a complete mess uh, that they have to deal with. Uh, can they get out of it? I'm sure they can. Uh, what's the strategy for it? I think one of the other uh, panelists earlier said, I don't know the strategy because we haven't seen a strategy emerging. We haven't heard about a strategy. So it's going to be interesting to, to watch them do it. Uh, I'm assuming that you know now that uh, President Biden has you know um, formally thrown down the gauntlet and said you know it's clearly Trump at this point that's going to be my opponent. That now we're going to see their strategy emerge as to whatever it is that, that they want to plan. But you know I think right now they're they're behind the train and they got to figure out a way to get themselves together to get organized and to be able to uh, motivate Democratic voters to come out and independent voters to come out. There's a glimmer of hope with, Demo- with independent voters, and there's always hope with, de- uh, with the Democratic voters, but they've got to put that plan together and start getting those voters motivated to come out. Independent candidates, you have Robert Kennedy and Cornell West. Not so fast. <laughs> not so fast. We do not know what's going to happen, Mark Fancher, but we do know that so much of the corruption has been exposed. You know, you wouldn't have the Republican AG wouldn't have would not would not be able to look at the hypocrisy if the hypocrisy were not there. 
I mean, we're not even 40 years out from when Reverend Jackson ran. You had to run. You had to register twice in order to get registered one time in the party. You had the winner-take-all system. Let's not act as if the Democrats have always been Democratic. I've got two minutes for you, and of course, you know, you can have a little bit more time on the other side. Mark Francher, what, what was your takeaway from last night? Well, you know, Dwight McKee is one of the great political prophets of our time, and uh, as usual, he's correct. It is the uh, the death of the Democratic Party, and it's death by suicide. And I don't celebrate deaths and, and funerals and things like that, but I am as happy as I can be. Uh, because I think that uh, the Democratic we, – we're in, living in a time when three of the great foes, the great enemies of African and other oppressed peoples are breathing their last. Uh, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, and Zionism. Uh, all of them are on the ropes. And, and I think that it is a time for uh, celebration. It's a time for vigilance to make sure that we kill them all off. And um, I think that uh, a big part of the reason that they're dying is because they do not represent the fondest dreams, the best of what humanity can be. Uh, they do not represent what we as a species need for the planet. And the, they can only blame themselves uh, for their demise. Zionism, it's obvious. Uh, you do not get, engage in ongoing genocide and expect that humanity will rally to your cause. The Democratic Party is anything but democratic. Uh, it has been used as a tool of the oligarchy to maintain an empire, as has been the Republican Party. Uh, so as it breathes its last, I do a dance, and we wait to see the Republican Party do the same because of the idiot, uh, the maniac uh, who is the head of that party, who's going to drive it into the ground. Just give it enough time. Everybody calls at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Aaron, sending you much love. Get those babies to school, my sister. Sending <laughs> you much love today, but wow. Girl, we just have to get ready for this convention. It is going to be on and cracking. Back with more of the Santita Jackson in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. We were talking about, we are talking about what happened in New Hampshire yesterday. Um, and we're looking ahead at the conventions. Uh, you've got the Republicans and the Democrats who will be having their conventions, but many people really anticipating a very politically active uh, Democratic convention. And so I want to know what your thoughts are. Um, I mean, some people say that there are all of the earmarks of all of the events that led up to 19, to the, to the clashes that we saw in 1968, uh, that they're present with us today. Um, well, let me start with you, Dr. Gibbs, just as an historian. What, what was, can you kind of set the table for us and what was going on in 1968? You had just lost, you'd lost the nominee, um, the, the president. Four days later, Dr. King is killed. Yeah. 
what, six weeks after that, no, two months after that, Bobby Kennedy's killed. I mean, I don't even know how people got through uh, that spring and that summer. Because that, to me, is just mind, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, it was. It, there was a certain sense in '68 the country was coming apart over the Vietnam War, over civil rights. Um, those are the two big issues. But it, it did seem like there was this enormous divide in the United States, enormous cultural divide, um, uh, along those two issues. But more broadly, a kind of cultural divide almost. And uh, you know, a flashpoint uh, as we were discussing during the break was the Democratic Convention, where you know you had the mainstream of the Democratic Party led by, um, uh, you know, the party elite, uh, the sort of business interests behind them, and the very, very, very reactionary AFL-CIO, what was left of the union movement after the Red Scare, on the one hand, and they were pro-war. And then you had, you know, youthful anti-war demonstrators outside the convention protesting in Grant Park being attacked by the police. Um, you know, it would be um, maybe inaccurate to say that uh, there was sort of skirmishing or fighting. There was a very one-sided skirmishing. The police were mostly attacking the uh, demonstrators with billy clubs, and that's the way it played out. And, um, you know, so that's the historical background to what we're going to see this summer in Chicago. And, um, you know, I prefer that we do not get a reprise of what happened in 68. I'm not a big fan of violence, personally, and I, I don't like to see violence. But I'm fearful that we could see some violence at the convention and during the election more generally, just because it does feel like the country is a tinderbox, maybe more divided than in 68, over a whole range of issues, I should add. And a lot of really um, tribal hatreds going on, and a lot of guns as well. Um, you know, the Democratic Party did seem actually pretty unified until the war in Gaza, and that tore the party apart, or was in the process of doing so. And, um, you know, it still doesn't have that strong an echo in Congress, but outside of Congress, there are a lot of younger people, including a lot of Jews, who are very strongly opposed to what Israel is doing and what the Biden administration is doing in terms of backing Israel to the hilt, uh, with no real pushback against the mass killings in Gaza. And, um, you know, these people, the, the, the people who are calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, they will be in Chicago, I, I, I think that's a guarantee. And it could be a very tense convention. Plus, you may have MAGA people in Chicago uh, who will be protesting from a very different point of view. And so we could be in for a very... Um, shall we say, exciting convention and exciting election, but not, not exciting in a positive sense. Um, exciting it could be a very, or inciting. Um, dangerous situation. Yeah, exciting or inciting. Um, well, both, I suppose. <laughs> Either word would yeah. suffice. Um, it, uh, it, it could be a very dangerous situation. And I, I, again, I, having studied violence in other countries, I'm just not a big fan of seeing it. And particularly not seeing it, I don't like seeing it in my own country. But I fear that is where we could be headed with this election. And, um, you know, the conventions could be the first major flashpoint where we may, we may see it. Dwight, you lived through the convention here in Chicago in um in 1968, is that what you see? Uh, yeah, it is. I see all of the trappings that sets up, uh, you know, that those kind of confrontations, particularly around the war. I know that these a lot of these young uh, demonstrators on the Arab side. 
that energy was tied, uh, are extremely irate about what's happening in there. And they are very activist-based, uh, very protest uh, centered. And I know in other cities they've been closing down expressways and closing down the, the train stations. And I see them real kind of hell bent on doing that here. And I think that, you know, the uh, the Democrats can be reactionary. I think the, you know, the good part is that we got a, a much more progressive mayor now than we had in 68 when we had Daly, who was a despot. But uh, in that, cause he could help mitigate some of this. But I do think I that between... I'm saying mm-hmm. if he has control, if he has control of the police, I mean that's always a, a danger, right? That's the big danger here is uh, having control of the police and having control of the designers uh, crowd, who also is going, I think, be on the other side protesting the protesters, and so it can really get you know potentially ugly. Particularly when you have a, as I said earlier today, you have a bipolar convention anyway, because you know you're gonna have some of the 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 the, the, the uh, insiders themselves protesting the war, and you're going to have some uh, other uh, of the, the 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 guys on the inside exalting and celebrating the war. And so there's no clear policy about the war. So it, it, it can get a little crazy, I think. I'd be curious to know what Mark thinks about it. Well, I want to hear what Mark thinks about it, but before I hear from Mark, I want to hear what Ari thinks about it. I mean, you're reporting here in Chicago. I mean, and what do you see? I mean, do you see some people saying that they're willing to, you know, the closer we get to the election, you know, Gaza will be recontextualized. It probably won't matter as much as the economy, as immigration, as, as. What do you think? So I think there's uh, a couple things here. And, you know, I think first off, you know, as folks have acknowledged here, you know, it's the United States. So there's always the possibility of violence. You know, we're a violent people um, with a extreme garden culture and extreme culture of violence. And so, you know, there's always the possibility of violence, you know, pretty much anywhere we go, whether or not it's the, whether or not it's the synagogue or houses of worship and things like that. But I think, you know, Dwight makes a really good point about um, Brandon Johnson and having a different mayor here. And one of the things I wanted to mention was, you know, the ceasefire movement in Chicago has been extremely active. We are one of the main locuses of the ceasefire movement right now. And I think we can look at some of the interactions of anti-war and ceasefire protesters right now and police. And that might give us some signals of what we might see at the DNC right now. And, you know, what we're seeing, and I've been there, I've been on, you know, locking arms, blocking traffic and uh, into reactions. And we saw what was, you know, the largest Jewish uh, protest in the history of the Midwest. Um, you know, people came from all states in the Midwest, from 
Minnesota, from Wisconsin, from Iowa, um, all to shut down the Ogilvy Transportation Center here. And, you know, while we did see, you know, some amount of harassment from police, you know, we did not see in any of these circumstances the types of wild violence that we're talking about. We did see, you know, some abuse. Um, from police here, but we are not talking about the wild amounts of violence that I think folks might have thought. And we've seen, you know, all sorts of protests across Chicago that have been really, you know, nonviolent, um, have, uh, you know, engaged in nonviolent civil disobedience and, uh, and even escalation and even major actions. And, you know, I think if we were going to see some of the types of violence that we're worried about at the DNC, I think we would have seen them now. And I think a lot of that actually speaks to, you know, Brandon Johnson and, you know, his administration, you know, real strategy around making sure that this does not happen, that this is not the optics. And my, you know, feeling here is that, you know, 68 was a, obviously a completely different context and, so many ways, and I think the DNC is going to be fairly boring. Um, you know, every time I think the DNC is going to be, you know, wild and controversial and everybody's throwing everything at each other and all of this sort of stuff, at the end of the day, it's fairly boring. Um, and I honestly think that that's probably where we're headed right now. I think there's going to be a certain amount of resignation and inevitability about what's going to happen there. And I'm curious if progressive movements in particular are, I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, action and work around the DNC, but I think progressive movements are actually going to put their energies elsewhere um, and see where their organizing can be most effective. And while the DNC is largely symbolic, I don't think progressive organizations are going to, you know, spend all of their energy there are going to hedge all of their bets at the DNC. Hmm. Mark, your thoughts? Well, you know, I, I think that uh, we should keep in mind that uh, since 1968, uh, the level of consciousness among people generally has risen. And I think that uh, having the benefit of the experiences of uh, earlier generations of, of activists has in many ways uh, informed the strategies and the thoughts of people who are engaged in resistance now. And I think that there probably is a, a little bit more analysis that goes into strategies and tactics that might be used. Uh, you know, a, a movement that is working against massive violence in Gaza uh, is not necessarily going to decide that the best way to uh, protest that violence is by engaging in more violence. And so I don't know that that's necessarily something that that activists who are resisting the Democratic Party's uh, position on, on Zionism and Israel, I don't know that that's what they will do. Uh, and also, I think that we need to remember that even in 1968, uh, much of the violence uh, was not necessarily uh, instigated or precipitated by the activists, but by the police. And even the police have had the opportunity since that time uh, to understand how to deal with protests in a better way. Uh, and they are not as quick to incite that type of reaction. 
so I, I don't, you know, it, it's very possible that there will not be that level of violence uh, that uh, people might be afraid of at this point. But at the same time, I, I think that uh, any risk of it, any threat of it, can be easily avoided uh, by the Democratic Party itself. Uh, and that's by becoming a party that it is determined not to be, and that is to be a Democratic Party. Right now, the people who would be its natural supporters, its base, are people who say that they are opposed to genocide, uh, and they want it to end right now. Uh, it is a party, uh, it is a, a base, a population of people that uh, sees the people who are at the border as their brothers and sisters, and who want them dealt with humanely and maybe even just welcomed into uh, into into the, these borders, into into this territory. Because really, many of the people who are crossing the border are indigenous peoples, and it, they have more of a right to occupy the United States than many of the settlers and their descendants. Uh, they have more of a right than they do to be here. Uh, so there are many, many issues like that where the party refuses to... Uh, really act on the will, act on the preferences and the agendas of the people who would support it. But instead, it has become, it, it, it remains and is determined uh, to stay as the weapon of the oligarchy, of the empire, uh, and to carry out its agenda as opposed to the agenda of the people. And as long as it's staying, as it, long as it remains uh, as that type of a party, then certainly it will self-destruct, and um, it will self-destruct probably without uh, the involvement or the active engagement or physical resistance by the people who oppose it. If the front runners on the Democratic and Republican side, if if they are prophetic or if they have their way, the primary season is over. Is that healthy, Dr. Gibbs? Um, no, it's not. Um, again, you know, I, people on the panel have spoken to the issue that the Democratic Party is not a very democratic party, and the whole idea is top-down. There's always been a tremendous resentment over many decades, I should add. Uh, in the 80s, I remember, it's actually with, with Reverend Jackson running. Uh, there's always resentment in the party with any kind of democratic movement. Uh, to nominate somebody who's not been selected by, you know, the party elites and the donor class and so on. And, um, you know, and, and with Bernie Sanders, that was, you know, had that again, and you had, get that again and again. With, with Dean Phillips, you're getting it. This resentment that anybody would challenge the Democratic Party structure, the Democratic Party machine. Um, and so it's a very unhealthy feature of our political uh, system. But I, unfortunately, I mean, I would say that and it is not in any way to praise the Democratic Party because I mean, the Republican Party, because they're awful. But the anti-democratic character of the nomination system seems to be even more ossified in the Democratic Party than the Republican Party. And the resistance to any kind of real debate or open discussion uh, is is even more resisted within the Democratic Party. And, uh, you know, that's a basic problem. And you're getting the result is a nominee or a near certain nominee, Biden, who isn't wanted really by the vast majority of the party. It's quite striking that almost nobody wants Biden to be the nominee, but he will be the nominee. I mean, and 
how is that supposed to work, Ari? I mean, how is that supposed to work? How can the Democrats win with that strategy? Yeah, you know, I um, was talking to a couple of writers uh, last night who have pitched a piece about how everyone really needs to, at this point, rally around Biden and, um, and you know, turn out voters as much as possible for Biden right now. And, you know, I think that's a, a very valid, um, you know, stance and you know, we are going to be facing Trump and we're going to be facing some, you know, really scary stuff. We're facing, you know, authoritarian and the far right. That's really scary right now. But my question for the writers was not whether or not, you know, we want Biden over Trump. My question for the writers was, what's the actual path to victory right now? Like, how does the math actually work right now? Because we're talking about some of the slimmest margins. You know, we're talking about tens of thousands of votes in Wisconsin. We're talking about just a slim margin in Pennsylvania and many other states right now. And what I'm confused about is how the math actually works at this point. I think we can, you know, in a lot of ways, pretty much write Michigan off. Um, I don't really see possibilities for victory in Michigan and and in other states where we had, you know, just such slim margins, unless we get historic Obama levels of turnout, I am having a hard time computing how Biden wins this. And for me, this is sort of like the ultimate, you know, in many ways, sort of like insulting question that so many folks are posing to voters right now which is basically asking voters to say, okay, so we know there's a genocide. We know that this is absolutely awful and that Biden is facilitating this and that Biden is funding this and that Biden is arming this. But we want you to forget about that because what we're facing is really scary. And we're talking about, you know, sort of handmaiden's tale type futures and just, you know, extremely awful futures for immigrants and Queer folks and so many uh, people in the country right now, and so we're gonna ask you to put genocide, you know, aside right now, and vote for this candidate. And for me, it's a incredibly insulting thing to do, especially when you don't have a strategy for victory. Like the math, it just doesn't really compute. And to me, this is just absolutely wild about the. Democratic Party right now, and you know, you know, we've talked about this, this, you know, line that Dwight has said on the call about you know the obituary of the Democratic Party, and you know, one of the things that we haven't said is that like this is a party that's killing itself, like this is a party that like knows in so many ways that its path to victory is just so so slim that it is self-destructing and you know i think there's like a couple of other unspoken things happening here with the democratic party that are also you know equally and incredibly insulting which is you know biden has you know leaned on black voters in particular um you know for you know his first campaign and i think you know one of the reasons that the democrats were 
you know, pushing so hard for South Carolina to be, you know, the first state here in terms of primaries instead of New Hampshire is because of this, you know, idea that the Democratic Party can take black voters and voters of color for granted. Um, and that, you know, the organizations that are trying to turn out voters in black communities are just going to go to all of these neighborhoods and say, okay, so we know things are like really awful. We know that, you know, the, the funding genocide, we know that, you know, the administration hasn't delivered on so many of the promises that they said they would on prescription drug prices, on Medicare, on all of these things. And we still want you to come out and vote. And that is just equally, equally insulting. And I, you know, a question that I have is right now is how, you know, how many insults can the Democratic Party, you know, give voters right now and still expect voters to turn out for them in droves? And, you know, we saw that here in New Hampshire yesterday, um, you know, with the Democratic Party being accused of voter suppression um, here on a number of levels. And we know for a fact that young people are fleeing the Democratic Party. We know that lots of, you know, voters of color and particularly Arab and Muslim voters are fleeing the Democratic Party. Um, We know that a lot of voters who care deeply about climate change um, don't really see the Democratic Party doing much. And so my question right now is, you know, once again, about what is the strategy for a Democratic Party in which the math simply doesn't work? And I don't, I haven't seen any answers. Well, Dwight, I've got one minute left. You want to take a crack at it? And what the strategy is, uh, Mm, Timber. What it should be? That's the strategy. The strategy is Tim Burns. <laughs> oh, gosh, help me, Lord. Oh, gosh. Well, you know what? I, I think it's, it's going to be very interesting. Don't pay any attention to Dwight, everybody in the listening audience. But, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack. Oh, my God. Get out of the way when the trees start falling. The strategy is get out of the way when the trees start falling. Because they're going to start crack, come crashing down. Timber, that's the strategy. <laughs> okay, ludicrous. Move, move. Get out the way. Get out the way. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a lot to vote on. Supreme Court justices, state legislatures, county officials, local officials, your Congress. Uh, there's a lot to, there's a lot at stake in 2024. And, um, Gotta think about that, everybody. Not just think about it. You've got to. We've got a lot of kids to get registered to vote uh, who are seniors in high school or who will be eligible to vote in the November 2024 election. Got to get them registered to vote. I would hope that the Democrats and, quite frankly, all parties would be about getting our children civically engaged. Maybe that's the point. Maybe they don't want people to be educated. Maybe they don't want people to be civically engaged because then you don't really have to have a republic or democracy. Now, do you? Other people can run it. Look, if you want a monarchy, you can have that. (laughs) If you don't want a republic, keep on doing what we're doing. You've got to get involved, everybody. A republic, let alone a republic with democratic aspects, requires that you get involved. Get involved, everybody. Get registered to vote. Whatever party, get registered to vote. Get involved. 
in every election at every level. It's your government if you can keep it. I'm Santita Jackson, sending you much love. God bless you, everybody.